Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in Psychedelic Salon 2.0. Guess what? This is going to be the first podcast from the salon that begins our 14th year of these podcasts. And I thought that it would be appropriate to begin this new year with a Salon 2 track by Lex Pelger and uh, featuring some of our fellow saloners. So uh, Lex's program for us today is uh, another of the storytelling gatherings that he recorded last year on his Blue Dot Tour. And, uh, well, the one that we're about to hear comes from Columbus, Ohio, which is uh, how I came up with the title for today's podcast, Psychedelic Columbus. <laughs> and uh, that's just my attempt at a little humor in thinking that maybe somebody's going to come across this podcast title and think that it's an expose of Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't take very much to amuse me. Anyway, uh, since this is the first week of another year of podcasting, I'm also going to post the next installment of the Terrence McKenna course that I've been playing on the Salon One track. And uh, I expect to get that out before the weekend, so uh, another Salon One track podcast will be coming to you in a few days. Now, uh, here is Lex Pelger and our fine friends in Columbus, Ohio. This is a story about uh, my last suicide. I'm Lex Pelger, and this is a Psychedelic Salon 2.0. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to get back to sharing the psychedelic stories from the Blue Dot Tour. Today comes from one of my favorite stops of the whole trip in Columbus, Ohio. But just one announcement before that. The Terrence McKenna Archives is having a crowdfunding campaign. The very hardworking Kevin Whitesides deserves all the support that we can muster to help him digitize and save Terrence's legacy. I'll put a link to that in the episode notes. As for today's stories in Columbus, a combination of a strong community, a beautiful performance space and a friendly bike hanger, and a supportive, loving vibe led to a powerful night. These stories come from a group of friends and strangers who know how to listen to each other share about the goods and bads of these substances. The range of their experiences speak to the power of these drugs, and I can't imagine anyone listening to these stories and not learning some lesson about psychoactive use. And most importantly, you can hear how vital it is for people to have their story heard, and for them to be strong and courageous enough to step up to the microphone and tell everyone. My hat goes off to all the storytellers everywhere. My name's Max. Um, I heard about this event the other day. I was at work at my job at the CBD store um, up on High Street. And a gentleman came in promoting this event. Where is he? Right there in the back. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I came here to hear you guys' stories, but interestingly enough, I guess I'm going to be the first one to tell mine. Um, when I was 17 years old, I graduated high school, and I had had some loose experiences smoking pot. I was really into it. Um, but I really had never touched psychedelics or anything like that. I didn't really know what they were all about. If 
But I was curious. I was infinitely curious. So when I moved to Athens, Ohio for my first year in college at the Ohio University, um, I really didn't know what was going to happen. But at one point there, winter semester, I had discovered lysergic acid. And I had had a couple experiences with lysergic acid. The first time I ever did it, I took two tabs of white-on-white, non-perforated blotter paper and had a very fantastic and enlightening and just kind of wisdom-instilling 18-hour stretch um, where I ended up by myself for a large period of time. And I was was into it. I, I was curious. I wanted to know what this whole thing was really about. A few weeks later, I had learned that a buddy of mine had come, had come to possess some dimethyltryptamine uh, in its crystalline form. And long story short, I experimented with that um, hot off the trail of my LSD success, I guess you would call it. And um, one night I went into my friend's car by myself and closed the door. And I laid down in the seat, and I had this little vapor pipe. Someone called it like a meth pipe, a little like vaporizer. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. And I, uh, just like this, I, uh, I, I vaporized some of that DMT, and long story short, I hurt myself. Badly. I was just turned 18 at the time. And I had no idea the power of what I was fucking with. I was curious. I was partying. Party man. Athens. Alright? Any of you guys have heard. (laughs) I was 18 and I spent a thousand years in that car that night. In the dark. By myself. I spent so long there that I'm still there right now. In part, I don't want to be all like droopy and dreary. This is a, this is a positive talk. I'm going to end it positively. But what I, what I tell the story about, the reason why I came here tonight and I wanted to be a part of this is that I stumbled into something in my youth that I had no idea the power of. I had no idea the spiritual significance of. And I, and I hurt myself early on. I sort of expanded my consciousness beyond what I was ready for. I spent a long, long, long time inside my head before I knew there was a community. Before I knew that there were people who had wisdom. People who could have warned me about something like that. And I, later that night, I, it's, it's difficult for me to talk about the night that this happened to me because I spent so long in this place of dilated time and space and just darkness where there's nothing and that's all I am and that's all we are and that's all it's ever been. It's just this big fucking ocean of nothing. And it fucked with me. I had to re-remember my mother's name, my brother's names, I had to re-remember why I was in Athens in the first place. All to go to school. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I dropped out after that. I was done. And now I'm here today with you guys. 
excited because now that I know that there's at least locally a community where we can talk about these things and we can get the information out to the youth who are, trust me, the kids younger than me, they're all the more curious than I was. And they're going to get their hands on these things. And they're going to self-experiment. And we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the human community at large to get the word out about these things and stop being ashamed. Stop being quiet about it. Stop being abashed because these things are illegal. Fuck the drug war. It is destroying our community. It, it, is, it is creating bad things. Like, okay, that's what the law is, but we owe it to ourselves to not comply with that. We can spread this information in the light of love, in the light of optimism, because we owe it to the generations coming up now. They're going to experiment with the same substances we're here talking with about tonight. And if there's not an established community of leadership and rites of passage and things like that where these kids know someone they can trust to talk to about these things, it can be bad. But then on the bright side, we saw earlier the benefits these things can, can reap. Imagine children getting their hands on these things with supervision. And I don't mean children, I mean budding adults. Getting their hands on this type of wisdom, with a structure, with some guidance. Like, I know it almost sounds cliche, but the sky's the limit. Like, these things have the power to, you guys already know. You guys already know. But I just, I just thank you all for being here and tell your stories. Get this information out there. Don't keep it a secret because bad shit happens when people find out about this stuff on their own. Mm. This is sort of almost my psychedelic origin story, like I was saying. Um, before Symposia existed, um, once upon a time, I was a chemical engineer working at ExxonMobil. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I had, you know, spent my life in high school getting good grades so I could get to a good school, get into a good program, and get myself a good career. So I took chemical engineering. That gets you lined up for a good career and all that stuff. Um, did all that, landed the job. Um, and for a while, I was happy, you know? Uh, I really had all the things that um, are supposed to make you happy. Um, and it was for a while. It was really cool. There was a lot of cool stuff to that job. Um, I got to work on cr solving problems that had not been solved before. I was working on like algorithms for optimizing transportation. Um, interesting stuff. And I had good uh, coworkers. We had on the whiteboard. Um, solving interesting problems. Uh, but eventually... Um, I got to a quarter-life crisis, and uh, I was not happy. Um, I had I was making good money, and um, I was I had a house. Uh, you know, I had a good career, and all the things, all the check boxes, you know. But I wasn't feeling it. I didn't like what I was going through. I didn't see myself as, and partially inspired by some LSD experiences I had, I didn't see myself as um, wanting to climb a corporate ladder the rest of my life. And that's about when I heard about ayahuasca, which um, someone described to me at the time. It's like, it's like acid for people who do acid. You know, so. <laughs> 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 uh, 
and as soon as I heard about ayahuasca, I knew I, I needed to go experience it. Um, and, and in all honesty, part of the reason was like, I was just curious, like, what is this? What is this thing people are talking about? Um, so I did my research. I looked at different centers. I went to Peru, um, and I ended up spending uh, a week and a half in the Peruvian Amazon. Um, I spent, uh, it was six ceremonies. So we had two nights on, one night off, two nights on, one night off, two nights on, one night off. Um, and um, a lot of things happened in that time, as you might imagine. Um, but I'll focus on one particular message I received. So coming into this experience, some more uh, background to it, I kind of had in my head the fantasy. Uh, ever since my first time, uh, uh, a year after I started that job, I took my summer vacation, two weeks backpacking in Europe. And that was the first time in my life, you know, I had two weeks of vacation at my job. But I was meeting people who were just traveling. And that blew my fucking mind. You know, like, wait, well, what do you mean? You're just, you're just traveling? You can do that? Oh, someday that's going to be me, you know? And so here I am now, fast forward, I'm in the Amazon, and I'm debating, do I want to take a leave of absence from my job, have this nice, cushy job kind of waiting for me when I come home, or do I want to quit my job outright? And um, because I'm a Batman nerd... Um, Ayahuasca spoke to me in terms of Batman movies. <laughs> uh, specifically, The Dark Knight Rises, which is like one of the weakest of the Batman movies. <laughs> but nonetheless, it, it suited. So, um, you know, there's a scene where Bruce Wayne, spoiler alerts here if you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, um, it was a long time ago, so I think we've got that. Um, he's in a prison and um, he's trying to escape and he's climbing out the sides of the, it's like an open roof prison for some reason, because um, that's how they are in Gotham City or whatever. And, um, and then he gets to this part where he has to jump. He's on this like cliff thing, and there's another one over there, and he's, you know, he's got his safety rope attached to him, and he's gotta make this jump. And of course he jumps, and he misses. He misses every time. And then eventually he's talking to the, the old wise man. And the old wise man says, uh, your problem is fear. And Bruce, of course, says, well, what do you mean? Uh, I'm not afraid. And the man says, that's your problem. You have to be. Do the jump without the rope. And that's the message I received over and over. Jump without the rope. Jump without the rope. Jump without the rope. It was repeated and repeated and repeated. I still was questioning it. I wrote it down in my little notebook. I always have a notebook, and I wrote it down, jump without the rope, question mark. Um, <laughs> but it was the right move. It, it was. I thought about it, and it ultimately was the correct move. Uh, it took me some time to get my ducks in a row, um, but I did. I quit my job. I went to Burning Man, and I took a one-way flight to India. Yeah. <laughs> and 15 months later, came back, and the rest is history. <laughs> Thank you. I um, sat in the back of the room. My name's John, by the way. Hi. And listened to things, and 
I reflected upon when I was a young man and I ran into these friends of mine that were several years older and probably back then we referred to them as my drug friends. Um, but they were doing LSD and they were smart. Like one of my friends had tested out of his nearly his entire senior year of high school because he was hyper intelligent. But yet he said, hey, um, you seem to be the type of person that might enjoy doing this with me. And I went, okay, let's go try it out. And some of my first experiences were very casual, more party oriented, but yet it was with these people that were a little bit more focused than I was. I categorized myself as a late bloomer. And the intent and the focus of what all those things were doing inside my mind at the time wasn't quite so clear. And then, as a lot of other people have said, they went to college and did the fine, upstanding, right thing to do, get a degree, pursue a career, make some money, which is what I did. And I stopped doing things like that. I probably casually smoked marijuana, drank the ever-present, supported, and beautiful, legally uh, syllable alcohol, and kind of had a nice, quiet existence. And um, it got boring. And then I did something weird. I learned how to speak French. And I kind of went to France. I've heard these backpacking stories earlier this evening. And I came back to the United States and I met these people from other cultures who spoke other languages. And while there was no drugs involved in these adventures, um, they were mind-expanding and mind-opening. And I went, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. And then fast forward a little bit where... I have a new group of friends who are a little bit more communal and a little bit more huggy and a little bit more lovey than I've experienced in a while. And there might be bicycles involved, I don't know. But there are. And so I, I, I reacquainted myself with uh, a drug that I'd not ever taken before, which is psilocybin. And I had a few... Um, pretty intense trips on psilocybin, but I was still a little bit skeptical. And then I took a little pause, um, and I had some moments alone with this drug and smaller dosages, and it was nice. It was calming. Um, I used to do this thing where I would take about a gram and a half, and I would go to bed and fall asleep, and I would wake up hallucinating and it wasn't like I would be shocked awake in my bed I would just lay there with my eyes closed and seeing all these visions and thoughts and I had a lot of these processes going through about relationships that I had and I would open my eyes and I'd be in my bedroom and it would stop and I would giggle and I would close my eyes again and as soon at some point in time since I didn't take like a huge dose I would fall asleep I'd wake up in the morning, and for the next 10 days, I just felt like a warmth hug all over me. And so, in December, I got in a crashy crash, and I broke my kneecap. And I later on found out that I have a bruised bone in my foot. And that was just like right before Christmas, and around January, second week of January, I realized the full impact of, oh, this is going to take a long time to heal, 
Um, I'm really not going to get a break. Uh, no one's going to let me go sit on my couch and heal. So I decided uh, the one thing I was going to do to make myself feel better and try to persevere through some of the pain and discomfort and more like lack of doing things that I like to do, like ride bicycles, even though it's wintertime, people do ride bicycles in January. Yeah. Um, I was going to microdose. And what I did is I um, found some things and I took about one-tenth of a gram every other, every two days for about eight weeks. And that basically helped me uh, level out and not maybe get depressed, um, maybe not uh, lose energy. Um, but I don't have like a lot of cognitive things that I can like put my finger on because I wasn't getting high. I wasn't uh, altering my reality, but I was providing myself with like supportive medication that boosted my energy. And it helped me get through the dark and dreary months of January and February, which everyone knows can be hard around here. Um, then throw on top of that, uh, I got to work at a grocery store and stand on my foot for eight hours. And I have a broken kneecap and a bruised foot. So um, I'm fully supportive of um, pursuing um, psychedelics and medicine as well as other uh, psychological endeavors. And um, that's my story. So I was 15 years old, and I was in high school, and like most people, I was not very happy about that. Uh, and so, you know, I'd definitely been smoking pot and drinking from whoever's, you know, parents' liquor cabinet or whatever bum we could convince to buy us a 24-pack of Natty Ice or something like that. Until, um, but, 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 you know, I was a smart kid. I, I, I was. Uh, I read books, at least. Whether or not I was smart, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but I read those books. I read those dare books, those, you know, those, uh, the ones that, you know, they were real thin. They were probably maybe, if you really put it down at 12 point, 12 point font, it was like 30 pages of text, but they were like 85 pages and real thick uh, bound thing. And they said things like, Cocaine! Um, so I read the whole series, you know, and I was like, I would really like to try some LSD. <laughs> you know, so they did their job. Um, so a man who, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make him a name because I, I can't out some rando living his life someplace. But a man named, um, I don't know, Jerry uh, uh, Wentz. Um, you know, that's a terrible name for a 15-year-old, but he was about 16. Anyway, uh, so he was older than me, he, you know, he was some skater kid, and, and about, um, about at lunch as a freshman in high school, I was 15, this guy, it was Jerry Wentz, um, he hands me uh, a little piece of paper, and it was free, and he handed it to my friend, my, my frenemy, I guess. Uh, and I have to make him another name for him, and we'll call him Baltimore. Um, so Baltimore and Jerry are responsible for everything that comes after this. Um, so I put this little piece of paper on my tongue in a public high school uh, at lunch. 
And, you know, I'd been sneaking off whenever I possibly could to go smoke dope, so I thought, hey, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, after lunch, I go to algebra class, which is actually the class I usually skipped. By the way, I'm a scientist these days, so, you know. Um... In algebra class, I was sitting there hiding in the back, as I usually did, <sighs> drawing, but I couldn't draw. I couldn't, like, actually really hold a pen anymore. And I'm looking at this uh, lined piece of notebook, and back in the day, I'm going to date myself, this was the 90s, I, you know, thought about taking LSD as frying, and I'm going to say this possibly may have influenced my experience because I felt a bubbling in my head. And I started scribbling like a child, like holding the pen in my fist and just scribbling on a piece of paper. And I mean, anybody who wandered back would have probably quickly seen you know, that I, there was something wrong. Um, <laughs> I was peaking in algebra class, and I, I'll, I can't really, I don't have the, the words for that. That was the ineffable part of it. But LSD is a long-lived molecule, you know? So I got to advanced earth science and ran into Baltimore, who had not been having uh, as quiet of an experience as I. And I had an older brother who knew about drugs, and his friends also knew about drugs, and they knew that Baltimore, there was something going on with Baltimore. So, oh my God, I'm just realizing that I, I named him Baltimore because you, you all symposia kids are from there. Anyway, uh, so uh, they're, they're trying to collect him. They're like, okay, he's yours now because he was in my class. And he's white as a ghost and he's sort of messing around. And I'm like, oh shit, I have to manage this person or else I'm going to get screwed. Um, and an entirely different story is that a year before my, uh, my sibling um, was uh, interfaced with the authorities in a very negative way as a result of LSD. So I had mortal terror of that shit happening. So I managed, you know. And we, we went home. Uh, we got on the bus, you know, back to my house. And, uh, and Baltimore finds the PAM spray, that, that, uh, that liquid spray. Uh, for, you know, uh, keeping your uh, Salisbury steaks from sticking to something. Uh, and he has a lighter, and he's, he's amusing himself by, you know, creating um, clouds of flame. And it's creating oily shit everywhere. And I'm freaking out because I realized, at first it was, it was mirth, but then I realized, oh, my God, you're, you know, making a mess of everything. So I'm, like, cleaning up frantically as, you know, my mother walks in the door, and I'm cleaning it up, and he's, uh, oh, wait, wait, no, I said I would tell the truth. Once I realized what happened, um, I grabbed a pool cue, half of a pool cue, actually. Uh, it was, like, unscrewed and um, chased Baltimore in a violent rage around my living room until he blocked himself in the upstairs room, my room, uh, where he collapsed into a... Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyhow, uh, and, and at that moment, my, my mother walks in, and I'm cleaning up trying to you know, deal with what had thrown me in the rage uh, in the first place. 
And my, my mother walks in, and she's like, what are you doing? Actually, she didn't even ask, but I, I, I realized that things were wrong. And I just said, uh, and I told her the truth. I said, you know, Baltimore was fucking around the Pam spray, and so I'm cleaning it up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry? And she was like, oh, okay. So then I called my friend. I called my other friend who, you know, whatever, his name's Nate. Uh, he doesn't care. Uh, called Nate, best friend in the whole world. And I said, you need to deal with Baltimore. Get him out of my house. He's going to blow my whole shit up. I'm fucked. And he's locked me out of my own room, by the way. So I can't get him out. And he's weeping behind the door, which is a problem. It's a big problem. Um, so my friend Nate shows up, coaxes the door open, walks in the door, and Baltimore promptly punches him in the nuts. <laughs> And he walks out the fucking door completely just like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And it was like, walk-in character, walk-out character, you know, done. But the door was open, and I find Baltimore weeping in a pile of Bibles, because I had been collecting these Bibles uh, from the fucking phone booth. Remember phone booths? Yeah, they used to put them, put the Bibles in there. And I had a whole stack of them, and he was just covered in them, just sobbing. And I was like, Baltimore, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for everything, but I need you to leave. <laughs> Look, I'm telling the truth, okay? I'm just telling the truth. Uh, this, I was 15. Give me a break. So um, I sort of shoved him out the door. Um, and then for the first moment, I have like a little bit of calm. My folks come home. And we go, go out to dinner at 6 o'clock. Six o'clock into an LSD trip is not that long. So I'm still solidly going. And we're at Fuddruckers. <laughs> yes. And there's some awful hamburger in front of me that I like don't want to eat, you know? And so I get serious with my folks, though. I get real serious. And I say, I am not happy in public high school. I'm getting fights all the time. I'm not my older brother. And I really want out. What? Because it was high school. But like, point is, I was able to express myself uh, in, 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 a, in a really cogent way, I gotta say. I needed, okay, it doesn't matter where I was, I was unhappy. From the public, uh, yeah, yeah, I needed to get the fuck out of my situation. Anyhow, I was able to communicate my experience of wanting to learn but not being in a good spot to my parents at that moment. Um, and I negotiated a life-changing experience. They said, okay, you can, you can drop out. When you're 16, you're legally you know, able to drop out of high school. And that's exactly what I did. I dropped out of high school. I went to community college, I got a two-year degree, and it changed the entire course of my life. And it was messy, all right? It was really messy. Um, and, I, you know, there was, I, I could have used some guidance, I'll say. Um, I really, really could have used some guidance through those confusing moments. But it was life-changing from the get-go. And... Uh, it's always been my barometer. Uh, these substances have treated me well from the beginning, but they ask something of you.
And so I say to you, wherever you all are uh, out there in the web and those of you who are here, be careful and enter with a pure heart. Thank you for listening. drugs. They were illegal. They were this big deal. Alcohol was great. Why would I even want to try other drugs? I started with pot. I went to OU as well. Uh, Partied a lot. A lot of alcohol. Tried some weed. Fainted several times while smoking marijuana. And so I thought, there is no, why would I ever want to do another drug if I can't even like handle weed? Um, So got a little older, met some friends who were definitely into psychedelics, started trying a little bit, but more of a microdose level, because I was still really scared of them. Um, So I never really felt the full effects of tripping until I would say this past year, and I had my first DMT experience. I had my partner pass away. And it took away my fear of all drugs. Nothing mattered anymore. I was ready to experience whatever the drugs had to give me. So I went into a very beautiful ceremony that my friends did for me. There were four of us total. Um, Watched somebody do it before me. Um, And then when it came time for my turn, I was really nervous, but at the same time, completely ready to completely let go. Um, And when it happened, I smoked twice in the one night. And the first time I smoked, I saw immediately a rainbow heart radiating out. And I knew it it was my being. And it was just so familiar. And I couldn't believe that I didn't recognize earlier in my life that that was me. And so it was beautiful, and there was music along with it. Second time, um, so I experienced that, and I was happy with that. But then they were like, you should go a second time. And I, of course, was hoping to have some sort of interaction with my partner. Um, And that didn't happen, so it was disappointing. Um, But the second time I went, I uh, immediately saw things that I can only describe as the things that you see in psychedelic artwork, which I never understood before. Um, I completely get now. And it was the fucking universe. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is the universe. I've been here before. I already knew that. Like, everything made sense. (laughs) Um, So I'm really thankful that I had those experiences. And that is really just the beginning for me. So I am just starting out, but seeing the people in this film discussing how it allows them, even people, you know, associated with Christianity and whatnot, makes me really excited for where I'm going to get and explore in the universe in my mind. That's it. Um, My story is not so much about an actual psychedelic experience, but rather about 
the people who led me there, specifically one individual. So I had my first psychedelic experience several years ago, but it was a number of years leading up to this that this individual who um, unfortunately, much too many broken hearts has, has passed away. And so, um, you know, I won't get to share another psychedelic experience with him, but uh, from a very, <laughs> From the very beginning of our friendship, he kind of asked if I would, would take psychedelics with him and encouraged me in this. And um, anyone who knows me, if you suggest something to me, it's going to make it 10 times more likely that I'm not going to do it. So um, that didn't work. And part of me just said no because I <laughs> knew it bugged him. And, um, and we kind of operated very well on that, in that wavelength. Uh, but after I had finished my graduate degree and kind of felt a little bit more open to others' suggestions and other people's ways in which they might direct me, I agreed. And um, and so, so thankful. So, so enormously thankful. Um, and so I think this story is really just one of immense gratitude in that I have a number of um, people in my life who have experienced drugs in a really negative way. And I work in a world in which drugs have a very negative force. But I've, luckily for me, that's never been the case. And it's just been a really beautiful world that keeps building into a more beautiful one. And so I think I just wanted to take a moment to express gratitude. Because if we don't have that, then what do we have? And, and really to highlight... Um, I know drugs can be very individual and, and have a and great importance for one as an individual, but maybe to highlight the, the community that can be built around them and around our shared experiences and experiences um, learning from one another. And I just am thankful for that gift as well. Psychedelics are my medicine, and that's the way I approach them. They're like a medicine, they're like a sacrament, um, and they have helped me. Um, I, I struggle with um, depression, and um, I've had highs from psychedelics, and I've also had lows, and I feel like I want to share that you know, people are like, I don't want to ever do that because I feel like it, you might go into this crazy place and you might never come out. And I'm like, that would never happen to you. I mean, really, it wouldn't. But actually, I had an experience in 2012 on um, psilocybin that was really dark. And I cried for probably 48 hours on and off. And it was because I saw myself in high relief detail. And I saw a lot of things that I really didn't like about myself. And it was the truth. It wasn't like a hallucination. It was like looking in the mirror for the first time and really, really looking. And it was ugly and I didn't like it. Um, and it was very, very hard. I felt like I had been like, carved out like a pumpkin and I was really really raw for a long time after that um, but looking back on it now if I hadn't have 
gone to that place, I wouldn't be with my partner now because I was needing to look at myself that way. Um, but the reason why I'm going, telling you about this kind of crappy thing is because, um, one, I needed it. I think I would have went through that stuff anyway if I hadn't have done that. It just would have probably been longer and more drawn out. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can't get around it. You have to go through it, you know. And two, looking back on it from here, I think that it actually did put me into a place of depression. And looking back on it, I think that if you are going to tackle something like that and uh, maybe see something like that, you have to be able to look out for tools to work with. But on the long view where I am now, in 2014, the way I got out of that experience was also a psychedelic experience. Um, I had what I like to call my third eye birthday in May of 2014. And I think it was a crown chakra opening. Um, I didn't know what that was back then. But I'm wearing this mala crown my neck because I'm studying to be a yoga teacher now. <laughs> partly because of that. Um, but in May of 2014, I uh, was on a high dose of antidepressants and I had gained 65 pounds and I was really fucking sad. And I was crappy to be around. And I was trying all kinds of stuff to like get better. I was like eating a whole bunch of sugar <laughs> and hating myself a lot. And I don't know, I was really having a hard time. And <clears throat> one of the things about my identity is I've always been an athlete and I used to lift weights and I was the captain of the softball team and I was a pedicab driver and I was really strong. Well, I felt fat, I felt lazy, I felt impotent, I felt fucking shitty. And I had taken some acid and I took some MDMA, a very light dose of that. And I was in my tent and I was putting on some socks and I put on these socks, and when I put on my socks, I wasn't feeling anything, by the way. I was like, this shit sucks. I'm having a bad time. Everybody's having a fucking good time except for me. Fuck this shit. Fucking fuck. And my socks are wet. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> so I'm putting on the socks, and I'd been meditating. This was when I first started meditating. And I'm putting on the socks, and I'm coming up my leg and I was like, ooh, my calves are still pretty beasty. They're like really strong actually. <laughs> and so I started like feeling my own muscles, you know, I was like feeling myself as they say. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, and I started going up my leg and feeling all my muscles. And then I just started flexing my muscles and like getting real with the fact that I wasn't actually like a fat, disgusting slob that I was telling myself every single day. And I came, I was sitting like cross-legged and I went, flex my arms like this, like bodybuilder stance, like. And then I could feel like stuff was moving around in my body. And suddenly I looked down and there was this red orb that had appeared and it was right here. And it was just glowing. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I never, that wasn't there before. <laughs> And then I was like, wait, did I do that? <laughs> Maybe I am tripping. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, I've been feeling really shitty. Maybe I'm 
doing this? Like, like that, you know? So I kept squeezing my muscles, and I'm thinking maybe and it starts to like react to me squeezing my muscles. And it's turning like brighter, and it's turning orange as I'm squeezing. And I'm thinking, maybe I'm powering up like Zelda. I'm, I was thinking <laughs> I like the heart, you know? <laughs> and I was like, ooh. And so as I was squeezing it, I was actually feeling like I was powering up, like there was a, a mind-body connection happening here. And so I kept squeezing it, and as I squeezed it, it went from red to yellow to white. And when it turned white, there was really intense energy happening in my body. And when it turned white, it went whoosh. And I shot out of my body. And I flew into this white light space. And I used to describe it, well, I described it after it when I came out of it gibbering. I thought I was like every, I thought I was flying all over the world, but like I actually think better to explain it like I was everywhere all at once. And it was pure white, I wasn't me, and I felt, I felt like no thought. And it was really good. <laughs> and I, it was like upward energy. And I, I can't really remember it anymore, to be honest. I, I remember my memory of it. But that lasted for who knows how long, and it was really, really good, and I felt like I knew things, you know? And then immediately following that, I had this up, and then it turned down. And it turned to, I saw this, like, bowl beneath me. and it was, Or it was like a round shape, and it was gray and brown, and there was millions of people in there, and they were just desperately sad and they were all crying and I was I was immediately racked with sadness and I just I cried like the most I've ever cried in my entire life and I had this like thought I was like why am I crying like this why am I so fucking sad and I got a response from something it wasn't like a talking it was like a a thought to me it was responding back and it somehow told me that this is like the universal sadness I'm feeling. And when I got the response, I released, because I'd been holding back, like, why am I so fucking sad? And when I knew that it was just like the state of being that we must suffer, I released, and I actually fucking cried so hard. It was like having an orgasm, actually. Kind of. A sad orgasm. <laughs> if that makes any fucking sense. <laughs> it was just catharsis. But, you know, release. Sorry, I like talking about orgasm. <laughs> They're really cool. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyway, it was really good. I cried a lot. And then, and actually one of our friends heard me crying and she thought I was laughing. So it does, it's kind of weird. So um, that ended rather abruptly and I woke up with face down on the bottom of my tent and I heard the trail end of my own crying and I was in a puddle of my own spit. <sighs> and yeah, it was pretty weird. 
And I came out of it like, whoa, and I flipped over, and the first thing I said was, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I came out of it like, oh my God, I couldn't sleep for 48 hours, but I wasn't a spiritual person before that, and it was one of those moments. And I came running out holding my shoes, and I went and found Brian, my partner, and uh, it's changed my life. I, I cut my de- antidepressants cold turkey, which is a very bad idea. I, I was fine, but don't do that. <laughs> really bad idea. I was kind of sick. But I, I, I didn't have any problems with um, eating and stuff like that. So anyway, it's changed my life, and I really, this is medicine. That's all. There's been a, 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 we've heard tonight countless stories of, of light, of, of love, of healing, of medicine, and it, 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 it fills the soul and it's beautiful. And uh, I want to start by thanking each and every one of you who have spoken, each and every one of you who will speak uh, for, for uh, bringing your souls out in front of others like this. So a round of your applause for yourselves. Thank you very much for everything you've done. Um, this is not one of those stories. <laughs> So I hope someone speaks after me, because uh, this is a story about uh, my last suicide. And uh, this is the other side of that coin. So as many of you out there uh, probably have, have experience with uh, depression, as some speakers have said tonight, um, and those of you who do or have known those who have had uh, struggled with depression in the past, there's a lot of different ways that people describe it. Physical sensations, mental sensations. Um, hear, you hear things. Um, for me, it was always very clear. I always knew where it was because it starts right between the shoulder blades. And like someone had approached from behind you and taken, uh, taken a shawl, it wraps around your shoulders and it drapes down your back and it creeps up the back of your neck and over the front of your face and it closes around your neck like a clasp and and suddenly when it's all around you it sort of takes you under the sea and for me it was like being wrapped in a thick wool blanket lying on my back under the ocean looking up at the waves and it's warm and it's solid and the world turns gray and and slightly shimmering but it's far away but I always knew where it was Um, this past year um, was a turning point because it was probably my darkest and during the depths of this time I decided that there uh, there came a point where I decided well I've I've got to face this thing is behind my back it's between my shoulder blades it's over my head it's time to look this in the eye. So um, I, I, since I was little, five years old, I've, I've been in, in martial arts. I've grown up my entire life with a uh, martial mentality. I see the world through a, a warlike lens. So I said, well, this is, I'm going to hunt. 
going to battle. So I, uh, I prepared myself. I, I can't remember the exact dose. It was either half of a hit of, of, of LSD or less. Um, and I, I walked to my room and I, I took out my, my bow, my wooden old uh, traditional bow. And I, I sat on the covers and I, I strung up my bow and I knocked an arrow. And I, I sat there and I took, I took, my, took my sacrament and, and I went on my hunt and I waited. And I stalked this thing until I felt it start between my shoulder blades and creep up through my shoulders and start to come around my neck. And I, I felt that ocean under my feet. And as I went below the waves this time, I, I held my bow and I held my arrow and I turned around. And I didn't expect to see anything, but there it was. There was uh, depression. There was the darkness in my heart, uh, a skull over my shoulder, draped in that same cloak, directly in my face, and there was no doubt about it, what I was looking at. It would, had been under me, under the water this whole time. And I had my, my bow in my lap and my arrow knocked, and, and all I could hear was this, this skull saying, saying, whispering over and over again, you know, die, 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 just over, over, echoing like I was under the water, and I felt my skin go sort of fuzzy and, and, and my grasp, grasp, on the arrow, grasp on the arrow loosened. And I don't know how long I was there just staring that figure in the face, die, die. So I, 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 I knew what I had to do. I, I, I held the bow, I held my arrow. I got up and walked to my dresser and uh, took out my pistol. I went back to my bed and I sat down and I, I laid down. I held the bow and one arm like over my over my chest, my arrow, and I, I took that that pistol and I, I turned off the safety and put it up to my head and closed my eyes there for a minute and, and died, 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 died. The skull was was over on the side and pulled the trigger and there was a click. And in the moment, I did not remember that during my saner times uh, earlier that year, I had rid my house of every bullet. Um, so the gun was empty, but what came out of the barrel might as well have been a bullet. I felt, was it truth or, or was it acceptance? Was it surrender? Was it something? I felt it in my head. I felt it tear through my brain. I felt it blow a hole out the other side and this figure in front of me is howling in, 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 in glee and laughter and it's loud and I just started shaking and I wanted to cry and I couldn't and the gun dropped out of my hands and, and I scrambled and picked it back up and pulled the trigger click, 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 click and this thing is laughing and I just feel these just the acceptance of what I'm doing just out the other side. And I started laughing too. And as I started laughing, I thought I thought that this skull, that this depression, that this horseman over my shoulder was laughing because I was weak. 
because I had given up, because I had pulled the trigger, even if there was no bullet in the chamber, that I had accepted that I could kill myself and be done with it. But it seemed as I started laughing that he was happy and that I, for me, and I was happy for him, that I had faced this thing, that I had acknowledged this darkness in my heart. Um, and I spent the next day clutching that bow and arrow, clutching my weapon, um, and then intermittently sobbing and falling into a nap, but that skull never left. And what I learned from it was this, from that day forward, and I've carried this with me, and I will always carry this with me, is that behind each and every one of us, there is a darkness in our heart, that there is a horseman behind our shoulder, that there is a boogeyman in the corner of our eye, and that during our worst times, we can't ignore this fundamental part of ourselves. We have to do whatever we can to do to face it and... It's not something that can be killed, but it is something that can be hunted. It's something that can be acknowledged. And when you accept that part of yourself and you gain the strength to feed your demon every day, that if you were in the darkest place where I was, that you will never have to complete that final action. I feel I never will have to uh, kill myself because in that moment I did. So, hunt, be strong, and uh, don't forget to acknowledge all parts of you, the joy, the love, the light, the rainbow hearts projecting from you, the strength of your body, the strength of your mind, the acceptance and the, the beauty of your, of your fellow man, but also use these opportunities to address the parts of ourselves that are dark, the parts of ourselves that are terrifying, and the parts of yourselves that are, in their own way, equally beautiful. Thank you.